Hello, Lions of Liberty fans. And you know, one great way to start out your day is with a shot of whiskey. But if you're not an alcoholic, the next best way to start your day is with an amazing cup of coffee. And now you can order coffee, delicious coffee, and also support the Lions of Liberty. We have partnered with Anarcho Coffee to create our own brand of coffee known as the Morning Roar. And let me tell you, this coffee is delicious. I am saying that as someone who just drank two cups of it before I recorded this pre-roll. So I can tell you, I'm a little hyped up and I just had some delicious coffee and I'd like you to be able to start your day the same way. So I want you to head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. You get a 10% discount with your very first order. And if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride for $10 or more per month, which you can do over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, you will then get a permanent 15% discount on all future orders. And you're going to want future orders after you try this, let me tell you. But first, give it a shot. Head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee and start your day with a morning roar. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back to all my liberty-loving friends out there, all my liberty-curious people just tuning in. Maybe you're just tuning in for the first time, but I've been here for 400 episodes. I started this thing on a whim. I called up Stefan Kinsella on Skype. We had a conversation about intellectual property. I turned it into a podcast. It is piss poor, but it is Lions of Liberty episode one. And we are now over five years later here at Lions of Liberty episode 400. And I could not have done this. I would not have done this without all of you out there listening. If the numbers just stayed, the, the 40 people that listened to the first episode, I would probably not still be here right now. Well, I'd still be here right now. I don't think I'd be dead. <laughs> I'd probably still alive, be alive. I'd still be talking about liberty, but I wouldn't be doing it on this platform. So thank you to each every one of you uh, personally who's tuned into this show for whatever reason, even if it's only one time, even if this is that only one time, I still appreciate the click. I still appreciate the download. And uh, I wouldn't be here also if it were not for my amazing friends and partners in this little venture, my good friends, John Odermatt and Brian McWilliams. Of course, you can catch Brian every Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermatt the man of the hour. He wraps things up every single Friday with his amazing, inspiring, hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system. The amazing thing is you get all of these shows for the price of one, and that price is free, my friends. So please do hit that subscribe button. And now we have all sorts of calls to action. Of course, I mentioned the coffee here in the little pre-roll. And of course, I'd love you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, where we have loads and loads of bonus audio content. I actually did a pause up, pause down. That's what we're calling our movie reviews, a review of Knock Down the House, the little AOC love letter documentary with our good friend Dan Smott from The System is Down. So that was up there this week. We'll also be having a conspiracy corner coming your way soon. Uh, just Endless amounts of audio. Don't forget Do Nothing Man, the amazing Do Nothing Man, the one-man stage play from Brian McWilliams. Just endless amounts of bonus audio. So please do check that out. But really, if there's just one thing you do to celebrate this day for me, to celebrate 400 episodes of doing this, I want you to do just one thing. That is just to tell a friend or a family member, maybe even a stranger, but just tell someone about this podcast. Tell someone why you love this show, why it's affected you, why it would just be great if they just checked it out just one time. Just give it a try. Now, if they have strong opinions on abortion, which will be discussed today, maybe that's not the episode to send them. I'm not sure. I'll let you decide that based on the audience, but that is all I'm asking of you now, except, of course, 
to enjoy today's show. All right, Lions fans, it has finally arrived, the 400th episode of Lions of Liberty. And I knew I wanted to do something really fun, really exciting, and really non-controversial for this historic occasion. So I took the obvious path of choosing to host a roundtable discussion on the topic of abortion. Because really, what subject could possibly be more associated with joy and celebration than the subject of abortion? I can't think of one. But when I think of abortion, the abortion debate overall, the first person that comes to mind is someone who has discussed this issue at length on this program and otherwise. He takes a very unique position on abortion, known as evictionism, and he will, of course, detail just what that is in a little bit. He is a senior fellow at the Ludwig von Mises Institute, professor of economics at Loyola University in New Orleans. I'm very pleased to welcome, once again, Professor Walter Block. Walter, are you ready to roar? Yes, thanks for having me on your show once again. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, when I hear abortion, I think Walter Block. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but... (laughs) But it is the truth. Next up, representing the pro-choice position, she is a second-generation libertarian seeking a more voluntary society for all. This is uh, a little bio that she sent me. Uh, but according to critics, she's also a quote-unquote degenerate female, a fucking lunatic, a whore, and a baby-slaying C-word. I can't even bring myself to say, to say that word. Uh, you are allowed to curse on the show, but I, I just couldn't do it. She is, of course, friend of the program, Miss Ovens O'Brien. Hi. It, it's cunt. Ovens, are you ready to roar? Cunt, honey. You can just say it. But yes, I'm very excited. I, I, I wanted to leave something for you to say. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> and I do need to confirm, uh, legally speaking, are you ready to roar? Man? Oh, absolutely. Roar. Excellent. <laughs> All right. And finally, representing, in a shocking twist, some might say, representing the pro-life position, he is the host of the Part of the Problem podcast, as well as one of the co-hosts of the Legion of Skanks podcast. He is the one and only Mr. Consistency, Dave Smith. Dave, are you ready to roar? I am. When did you get so averse to cursing? <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe, maybe it's just I, not I figure after 400 episodes, it's time to clean my act up just a little bit. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, the, the first thing I thought when I think pro-life, I thought to myself, I need someone in a, something called a legion of skanks. That sounds like who I need to represent the pro-life position. <laughs> I am disappointing pro-lifers everywhere. <laughs> You're like, what? This is the guy? This is the guy? This is our guy? Um... But you know, I, I, the reason I brought you all on here is even though I'm, I'm sort of labeling you guys with some take on this position in, in, in a way uh, based on sort of the mainstream narratives that we get, I think all three of you, I mean, especially Walter, uh, have very nuanced opinions on this in a way and, and, and probably came to your positions in, in a different way than the average person kind of out there thinks about the topic. So uh, I really want to do a deep dive on the subject because I think it's one of the few subjects out there that, I mean, libertarians argue about all sorts of things, but this is one where there really is, it's more than a divide. I mean, there's just a, a wide variety of interpretations and how you relate the subject to the libertarian concepts of, of individual rights and that sort of thing. So uh, first off, I actually just want to start with Walter. Uh, could you do us? I actually did a whole podcast with you about this episode 315. So if you want a true deep dive just of Walter's explanation on this topic, head over, press pause, go listen to 315 right now and come on back. But Walter, if you could, could you just please give, you know, just a very brief elevator version uh, summary of your position known as evictionism. You know, I, I don't know how how often you get into conversations in the ele- in an elevator and, and do a quick pitch on abortion, but if you ever have, <laughs> now some good yes. practice. Well, uh, there are really uh, two issues uh, and three visions here. I think the three visions are pro-life, pro-choice, and evictionism. And there are two issues here. One is eviction and the other is killing. And I think what abortion is, is a complex word. It means both. You can kill and you can 
uh, evict, namely take the baby out of your stomach if you're a pregnant woman. It's similar to a strike, a labor strike. There are really two things going on here. One is a mass quit. The other is preventing scabs from taking your jobs, the jobs that you're spurning. So we have to keep those two things distinct, and those things are very distinct. And the pro-life people say you cannot evict until the nine months when the baby naturally leaves the womb, and you cannot, certainly cannot kill. Whereas the pro-life people say, yes, you can evict and you can kill. So my position is a compromise position between the two. I say, yes, you can evict, but no, you can't kill. It's, I regard it as a, a compromise position. If I say two plus two is four and you say two plus two is six, a compromise position would be two plus two is five, but it wouldn't be a principled compromise because there's nothing from which you can deduce that two plus two equals five, except that you want to compromise. Whereas I think that you can have a principle from which you deduce my position, namely evictionism, and the principle is the basic element of libertarianism, the non-aggression principle and private property rights. So I ask, uh, who is the owner of the woman's womb? And uh, based on homesteading, Lockie and Rothbardy and homesteading, she was there first, long before the baby. So she's the owner of her body. She owns her body. So she should be able to say who stays in there. And if she doesn't like who is in there, and I use the word who advisedly because I think it's a human being. I don't think it's just a bunch of cells or anything like that. I think it's a human being. I, I think life, human life begins with a fertilized egg. The uh, sperm alone and the egg alone will not become a person. The fertilized egg will if put in the right environment, and we all need the right environment. So it's a, um, a, a person right in there, and I think if she doesn't want the baby in there, she has a right to evict it but not to kill it because it's an innocent trespasser. Now take the case of rape. woman's walking down the street. She gets grabbed. She gets raped. She gets impregnated, and that is a person growing inside of her. Well, what are the rights and obligations that she has toward this person, this very small person? Again, I say, well, if she doesn't want the baby in her, well, then she can evict it. But she can't kill it because it's an innocent trespasser. It has no mens rea. Now, uh, the bottom line here is that in the first six months, the first true trimesters, if she evicts the baby, the baby will die. Whereas in the third trimester, if um, she evicts the baby, the baby can be viable outside the womb. So it's a compromised position. Uh, namely, my position safeguards one-third of all babies, whereas the pro-life position safeguards all babies, and the pro-choice position safeguards no babies. And uh, as medical technology uh, progresses, we will uh, eventually come to the fifth month, the fourth month, and the third, etc., until the baby will be safe outside of the womb, in which case um, eviction will mean the pro-life position in effect. All right. Thank you very much, Walter. And uh, I will now move on to Ovens. And Ovens, you know, obviously everybody out there knows the term pro-choice, pro-life, what it generally means. But if maybe you could just explain sort of how you came to your position and then maybe highlight, I guess, how your pro-choice position would, would differ from Walter's evictionism position. Sure. And um, I know we've actually had a conversation prior where I kind of identified with the evictionist position, which I do to a degree. I'm also pro-choice because I think that these two things kind of work concurrently, but like, but I reckon, like, I'm actually looking forward to this discussion to understand kind of where, uh, where Walter and I differ in terms of the inaction of something. But, um, you know, I would say that, um, 
when you talk to people who are pro-choice in general, you'll actually find that a number of them do have a line in which they are no longer, like they consider themselves pro-choice, but then they have a line where they're like, okay, at this many weeks, I no longer believe in that. Like I, there, there absolutely is the majority of people who are pro-choice have that perspective. Um, I, uh, I take a particular stance, one, because I oppose government. So there's, there's, there's two things for me is that there's the, um, the governmental, the legal stances of abortion, and then the moral positions of abortion. Um, and, you know, as a libertarian trying to, you know, determine where those lie, or if, if you, you know, if you think that government should be involved at all, is, is often, you know, a huge debate within our circles, where even sometimes pro-choicers and pro-lifers will actually be on the same side, because they have uh, the same opinion about where government should stand on this. I'm adamantly pro-choice, and I do not actually see abortion as a moral problem, particularly in the first trimester. Uh, generally throughout the second trimester, though I absolutely, I understand the nuance of recognizing that at some point you have two people with competing rights existing in one body, exi like a body existing in another body. And that's why actually evictionism can sometimes appeal, uh, appeals to me to some degree. Um, but I strongly believe that um, it's a woman's prerogative whether or not she's going to remove something from her body, whether that means killing it or not, and that, and that it has absolutely no right to be there without her express continued consent. And as a result, consistently, I apply that throughout the pregnancy, uh, even to unpopular degrees of saying, no, I don't believe that any law should be involved at any stage of the pregnancy. And when I recognize a moral issue, when I recognize, hey, there may be a moral issue with a third trimester abortion, I still would not put myself in a position of telling someone else what to do because there are so many reasons that people opt to do, to, to do a third trimester abortion, which is less than 1% of all abortions. And so I don't ever want to be in the way of someone having to figure out that choice for themselves, considering the fact that nobody makes a decision like that lightly. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's how I came to that is uh, my entire life. I've, I've seen it as my body, like it, for any individual person, you can't make the decision about what someone else is going to do with their own body. And I recognize that to many people, especially in the pro-life space, they see it as like there's somebody else's body in there, but that doesn't preclude the fact that it is somebody's body that it is going to be irreparably changed and probably damaged from uh, proceeding with that pregnancy and with that birth. And I don't think that anyone has the right to tell someone else what to do with that. Right. Well, we'll dive into obviously more of the differences in a bit, but I just want to confirm, like, would you say your main difference between your position and Walter's is that you just, there's no point where you would say there, there should be a, a sort of even moral restriction on removing the fetus, even if it involves killing it. Whereas Walter might include that restriction and, and we'll, you know, dive into the legal implications of that, but a moral restriction? Maybe we should like, say is this. there a point? Where... <laughs> just, I'm just curious. Well, I mean, I, maybe not moral, but in terms of what you believe should be allowed, whether that's moral, legal, or what have you. Uh, legally, I don't. I I don't believe in restrictions. Uh, from a moral standpoint, I would say that I'm not overly concerned with people making that choice because overwhelmingly people make the correct choice on that, which is they get rid of it before it's viable, and if they don't, then a lot of people have their own reasons for doing so. A lot of that has to do with their medical concerns, problems with the fetus or, or things related to that. Um, statistics overwhelmingly show that. And so I'm not, I, it's kind of like, 
being concerned about something that barely exists. And I'm not really like, I, I don't sit there worrying about those things. Okay. And we can you know, dive into the nuance. Yeah, we'll dive into it. We'll dive into uh, it. And lastly, bringing up the rear here, Dave, you probably have the most, maybe biggest evolution on this subject. I don't know exactly where you were a couple of years ago, but I, I, just from listening to your show, this is something you've definitely evolved on quite a bit uh, since having your own child. So if you could just maybe detail maybe where you were like four or five years ago, or even before you became a libertarian and how, how your position has evolved since then. Sure. Um, okay. So I, I was, uh, once upon a time pro-choice. Um, I was also a statist and, uh, I, I look back at both of them in a very similar way. I, I can't believe that I ever supported either of them. And I think that, um, the more I look at the, the pro-choice position, I find it to be very, um, morally wrong, illogical, and completely arbitrary. Um, I am much more sympathetic to uh, Professor Block's uh, evictionist uh, um, position, although I, I have not been completely convinced by it. So I, I, I would consider myself pro-life. I think it's completely consistent with libertarianism to, to be pro-life. I am, I'm, I'm a Rothbardian. I am a Blockian. I, I favor a, a private property, private law society. But I, I do believe that in the Blockian tradition, I am allowed one deviation. So this is my deviation uh, that I'm not I'm not sold on the the evictionism. Um, uh, look, I, it, yeah, having having a baby. Who, by the way, you might hear my baby crying at some point. I live in New York City. We have very small apartments, so at some point you might hear uh, her from the other room. But yeah, th- that's really what changed my mind. And it it wasn't just the experience of having a baby, but it was the experience of my wife being pregnant and. When you have a pregnant wife, you learn a lot more about the development of a fetus as you're constantly going in for sonograms and you're, you're constantly researching about this stuff. And it is um, shocking how quick fetuses develop. Um, and, 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 you know, after having a baby, one of the things that really um, kind of amazed me was, was realizing like, you know, oh man, just a few minutes ago, this baby was inside of my wife and now my daughter's in my arms. And there really is no no substantial difference. There's nothing magical about the, the birth canal that changed this entity. So I, I completely agree with Walter Block that the only reasonable uh, starting point for when a human being is a human being is upon conception. Anything other than that is completely arbitrary. Um, I mean, what are you going to say? It's, a, it's when the heart beats. It's when there's the first brain wave. It's when the organs first start to develop. I mean, by the way, all of that happens shockingly early. We're talking six, seven weeks before that's all happened. Um, also when the baby can feel pain, I mean, is, is pretty early. That, that's not as scientifically conclusive. Um, anyway, I, I think that the, the idea that, um, libertarians don't want to say what someone can or can't do with their body is, is a misunderstanding of libertarianism. We specifically say exactly what you can and can't do with your body, namely that you can initiate a force, uh, against another person or against their property. So we're, we're all about telling people what they can and can't choose to do, what they can and can't do with their body. And it, we're very clear. You cannot initiate force. That's the line. Um, and the idea that you just don't want the government involved. I mean that, you know, to me, that's like saying you don't want the government involved in murder. And one of the things that I've always loved about libertarians, one of the things that, that drew me to uh, uh, the movement was that we call things what they are. We reject euphemisms. We say taxation is theft. War is mass murder. And what is what is abortion? I mean, OK, look, even even in this eviction idea, this is this is not something that actually exists in reality. In every single case that an abortion is performed, you're murdering a baby. That's what you're doing. 
I don't know of any instance of abortion, whether it's first, second, third uh, trimester abortions, where they're evicting a baby that then they leave and allow to um, to, to live on its own or will try to resuscitate. Now, just quickly, because I, I don't want to go on too long here, but I think it's completely consistent with libertarian um uh, uh, philosophy that a woman who's pregnant has an obligation to carry her baby to term. I, I the, the analogy that I would use, and I know a lot of people have done different ones of this, but I, I use the hot air balloon. I say, you know, if you have a hot air balloon that's on the ground and you invite someone into your hot air balloon, you can then show them around and then say, I'd like you to leave. You can kind of ask them to leave your property. That's fine. But if you put them in a hot air balloon and you take it up a thousand feet and you say, hey, you know, I just decided I'd like you to leave now. Well, no, because you're your action of inviting them in has now taken on a certain responsibility where you have a responsibility to now safely uh, bring them back, back down to the ground. You can think about going into a restaurant and eating the food. Your action has now uh, incurred a, a responsibility to pay for that food. Now, by the, I, I understand that this, this is murky when it comes to rape, but for the 99% of the time when rape is not the situation where, when abortions are performed, I think this logic completely holds. Um, and, and even in the case of rape, I, I think that the rapist is a horrible, evil person. He should be responsible for all of the medical bills, plus go to jail, plus all what, whatever else, two tooths for a tooth or whatever. Uh, you get to rape him twice. I don't know what the Rothbardian <laughs> answer is exactly to this. But, um, but, but I think that I'm, is the official Rothbardian position that you get to rape the rapist twice. I, I might not be I wrong. I have to about reread that. Ethics of Liberty, though. Well, Walter Block is the, is the one uh, to, to give the answer <laughs> on this. But I would just say that in the same way that a woman uh, can't decide when a baby is three months old if she was raped that, well, I, I want to kill the baby now because I just can't live with my rapist baby. I don't think you should ever be allowed to kill a baby. I understand the distinction that, that Professor Block is making. However, in reality, in the, in the reality of the situation, every abortion that's performed is murder. You're not evicting someone peacefully if you're taking a vacuum cleaner that's going to suck off their arms and legs and suck them out of the room. That's not an appropriate way to evict someone. I also kind of reject, and I'll, I'll finish on this, but I also kind of reject the idea of, of a direct comparison between a baby and a trespasser. To me, a trespasser is, even if you call it an innocent trespasser, a trespasser is someone who's going somewhere that they're, they're not supposed to be. I don't know where a fetus is supposed to be other than in its mother's womb. Um, so I don't know. I could keep ranting on this, but I, I think that's probably enough time. Right, we'll have plenty more opportunities to rant some more uh, as we go throughout the show. And uh, there's obviously many different directions we could go here. I, I kind of want to start on one point and just see if you guys are all on the same page. Uh, I, th I think Walter and Dave probably will be. Ovens might be, too. But does anyone disagree with just that general idea that when, you know, when the uh, when there is a fertilized fetus, that that is a, a life? Would you make any contention with that? I guess Ovens particularly? It, it's a life, sure. Like a human life? <laughs> it, it Presuming that it doesn't miscarry or get aborted, right, then right. it will become a human. Okay. Uh, do, do you think that, I guess I should say, do you do you think your view on, on, on that life differs from what you've heard Dave or Walter say and, and how they describe it as a life? I mean. I mean, like, I don't attach a sentimentality of like, you know, this is a human life that needs protection, but I know I recognize it as a life. Okay. Like, yeah. And I think most libertarians do. And I think that's one area where, you know, often outside in the mainstream, they get bogged down in the, like Dave was kind of saying, does it, is it when the heart beats? Is it when they feel pain? And I think we can all agree like that. These are sort of arbitrary distinctions. We should either sort of agree this is a life of some kind that's growing or it's not. And I think we pretty much agree on that, even if we might draw different conclusions. So that's mm. would you agree with that? <laughs> the, the way I laid it out there. Okay. So good. We all agree and we can end the podcast. It is life. Um, <laughs> I, I want to go back to Walter since I started with you. Would you like to point out 
uh, anything specific, why don't we start with uh, just from Avin's position, from her stated pro-choice position. Is there anything there that specifically stands out to you that you would say is inconsistent with libertarian philosophy and, and why you're, you know, why it differs from your view that you take with evictionism? Well, yeah, I'd like to criticize both of them. And uh, before I do, I think that if we had a vote, each of them would support me as a moderate between them, then they would support each other, which doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I'm in the middle. And that's Walter Block for president of abortion. Well, just, <laughs> of moderate perspectives. Walter Block bringing the moderate perspective. <laughs> that's, right. that's why they call me Walter Moderate Block. I'm the great I'm compromiser, I believe, is one of your one of your nicknames. <laughs> right, right. Um, by the way, in the Jewish Talmudic uh, tradition, uh, the baby isn't viable until it graduates medical school. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just a, a How silly late did joke. you stay up coming up with that one? I think I've actually heard you tell that joke before. That, that joke is extremely common. <laughs> in well, my family, it would have been law school, so I'm no longer, I'm not even viable yet. Okay, well, keep working at it. You'll become viable one day. Uh, you, looking forward to it. If you want to. Well, I disagree with Obbins, and, and please call me Walter. Uh, Dave, you've been calling me Professor Block. We're all on first name basis. We're all friendly here. Um, I disagree with Obbins. I, I think that uh, her uh, pro uh pro-choice uh, view means that the woman can uh, kill, not just the Vic, but kill in the third trimester. And uh, I, I think that that would be murder. If the baby is in the eighth month and the baby is perfectly viable outside the womb and you can evict, and you're supposed to, in the libertarian view, evict in the gentlest manner possible, consistent with evicting. I mean, if the only way to uh, evict is to pull arms and legs off, well, then too bad, because you have, you, we libertarians believe in the sanctity of private property rights, and the woman owns her body, so uh, she has a right to evict. But Obbins is going further than that and saying, well, not only does she have a right to evict, but she has a right to say, I want that baby dead, even though it could be alive. And there are other people who are maybe uh, couples that can't have a, a child, they're infertile, and they want to adopt this baby. And this woman is killing an innocent baby, and killing an innocent person, uh, I think, is murder. So I would uh, disagree with her in the third trimester. Where I disagree with Dave is in the first two trimesters, where he says that you're not even allowed to evict. And I disagree with his hot air balloon, although I think it's very clever. I, I, I congratulate him on it. I think it's a, a good try, but I don't think it uh, succeeds because there's a disanalogy between inviting someone into a balloon. And I agree about implicit contracts. You know, you drink a cup of coffee and they present you a bill with a million dollars. You don't have to pay a million dollars. But there's a, there's a disanalogy. The disanalogy is that um, you invited the person into your balloon. So you do have an implicit obligation to, you know, uh, if you got to get out of the balloon at, at 300 feet to give everyone a parachute or, you know, treat him the way you would treat yourself. But at the time of intercourse, uh, remember, there's nobody to invite. The baby, the fertilized egg we've admitted or we've all agreed is, is a human being. But at the time of ejaculation, it takes a little while for the sperm to get up in, in that tube, the fallopian tube, I think, something like that. It takes a while for the, um, uh, the sperm to get to the egg. So there is no person to invite at the time of, uh, of sexual intercourse. So therefore, uh, there's a, uh, you know, a, certainly a disanalogy. So I, I disagree with both 
I disagree with Dave in the first two trimesters, and I disagree with Obbins in the third trimester. I agree with each of them in the other places where, uh, for example, I agree with Obbins in, in the uh, in Obbins uh, in the first uh, two trimesters, and I agree with Dave in, in the third trimester, but not for the same reasons. Uh, it's just that we come out on the same side of, of the issue. And um, I, I certainly agree with Dave's uh, criticism with Obbins about telling other people what to do. We are libertarians, and we most certainly do tell other people what to do, namely we say don't murder, don't steal, don't rape, whatever. Um, now, let's take the case Forget about rape. Well, you see, I think rape is the strongest case against Dave. And Dave, I, I think, was a little uncomfortable with the rape case because, you know, clearly um, uh, there's no obligation of the woman. Uh, she didn't agree to anything. But now let's take the case of uh, voluntary sexual intercourse. Uh, the woman engages in voluntary sexual intercourse. Maybe she used uh, birth control, but it failed. Or maybe she wanted to have the baby. But there was no invitation. At the time of sexual intercourse, there could not be an invitation because for an invitation to occur, there has to be an invitor and an invitee. And there's no, um, there's no invitee. Now, there is one case where I agree totally with Dave. And that, uh, Dave or David? Uh, Dave. 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 Professor I'm Smith. Totally I agree with Dave. And, and that's the case of the, um, the host mother. So let's say me and my wife are infertile. We want to uh, hire Ovens, who's a woman, and we say, Ovens, we'll give you $100,000. Um, you know, uh, allow my sperm or uh, whatever it is into your body um, uh, through some medical procedure, say. And now she can't evict because we, she is contractually obligated to keep that baby for nine months. So that would be the only case where I'm totally pro-life because, uh, because it's based on contract, which is a, a subsidiary of, um, uh, of um, uh, property rights. All right. Uh, Ovens, do you want to respond first? Because maybe particularly just to that circumstance? I mean, I'm kind of curious what you think of, let's say you did actually sign a contract saying you would bring a baby to term. Would you still agree with your right to, to abort that child at some point? So I think that the one of the points that kind of leads into this is um, is the idea of consistency of like yes we don't we we tell people what to do when it comes to aggression uh, the the exception the thing about that though is that we have a complete allowance for defensive force uh, and so like in the event of of like you know if someone's attacking you right you can defend yourself to the extent that that person might die if you know you could defend yourself with a gun and you might kill them and you were defending yourself. Um, a lot of where I come from in terms of uh, a woman and her, and, and her ability to abort at any point has to do with self-defense because, and I'm not even speaking only to, uh, to life-threatening circumstances, but the fact is abortion irreparably changes a woman's body and in many cases damages it. I mean, sorry, but giving birth, pregnancy and birth do so. And so at any point, I see that as an acceptable use of force to remove, to, to stop that, uh, that thing from happening, regardless of the innocence of the fetus. And I recognize like, it's not like the fetus means to, you know, kill its mother on its way out or, 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 or cause, you know, preeclampsia or gestational diabetes or any of these other problems. But to me, that's a huge aspect of why I stand for that. You, you, like, that's why I see it as like, this is defensive force at all times. Um, as for, you know, a contract, I mean, I would say that a contractual obligation to, to be a surrogate, um, I would say that an intelligent surrogate would include uh, a stipulation that if there was a medical, if there was some medical thing and, it, and, and written out with a doctor in terms of 
what are high risk situations that then yes, that they should be able to abort and that should be considered contractual, that should be contractually protected. So I would say that like somebody needs to have an intelligent contract written and that co a contract should have like enormous caveats for the possibilities that uh, that happen during pregnancy, because there's a there's an enormous list of potential problems in a pregnancy and, an, and a smart surrogate subjecting themselves to a contract. Um, yeah, they would be in violation of the contract if they terminated it after agreeing to have it, unless the caveats were in there about about the circumstances in which they could. So I guess then it's more of a question of, so should she then be forced to keep it and not get an abortion or perhaps a, a real, con if this were ever a real kind of contract, it would include something like you have to pay us X amount of money if you abort or something. There, there, there would be, there would be presumably damages. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of contract law when it comes to uh, like agreements of any kind, but yes, this, this included. Um, I think another, another state, and I know we, there's a bunch of things I can rebut, like there was trying to keep notes of things and like and there's so much to uh, to discuss but one of the other things is that um i i believe in a lot of cases markets can can solve a lot of problems um and uh and one of the the interesting points is that when it comes to yes you know okay do i believe that a woman should be able to abort a perfectly healthy eight month old eight eight month along uh fetus and uh and um, like, because she and, and if she's perfectly healthy, is she allowed to do that? The fact is that doctors don't do that. Like, it's like if you if if I'm perfectly healthy and I have a perfectly healthy you know baby and I'm eight you know I'm eight months pregnant and I go in and I'm just like I just want an abortion. The majority of doctors actually already just suggest like like first they go okay why do you want to remove this. And then the majority of doctors actually there there's a whole segment of people who have uh who have c-sections to remove that because most doctors will not perform a third trimester abortion there are five doctors in the united states that will perform an elective abortion after 26 weeks and on top of that an abortion that's elective at a, in a third trimester is something like $25,000 the market already doesn't allow for this and so when it comes to you know women opting to have a third trimester abortion they're not opting they're pe they're people who are choosing to for medical reasons which means their insurance is covering it and their doctors are willing to do it but like there there isn't like a slew of doctors who are willing to do this uh, did like to perform an eight-month abortion. They're, they'd rather just have the 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 uh, the C-section, and that is extreme. That is actually, I mean, it's not even that common that a woman goes at eight months. I can't be pregnant anymore. But in the event that she does, that actually like the procedure that doctors do is they is they perform C-sections because one, they don't want to concern about liability, and typically that's a, is an easier thing to perform. Even in states where it's completely legal to do an abortion up till the the end, because nobody does that. Walter, is there anything you want to respond to there? I also want to make sure I can get Dave back in to, to kind of rebut what you were criticizing uh, over um, his position. But, oh, yes. I, I mean, think I'm on the verge of uh, converting Ovens to the one true faith. Ovens, <laughs> uh, suppose I have no doubt that you're right. 99.9% .9 of doctors won't do it and 99.9% .9 of women won't do it. But suppose someone did it. Would they be guilty of murder in your view? I'm not sure. If so, if so you're an evictionist. Suppose that they did it. Then what's your attitude toward the doctor and the woman who did this? A perfectly healthy eight-month-long fetus and a perfectly healthy mother who could have uh, evicted and the baby would have been alive and, and they decided to kill the baby. 
Um, well, one way or another, I'm pretty unhappy about that situation because I think that if a woman wanted to have an abortion, she should have made that decision earlier. No, no. The question is, are they murderers if they did it? I'm not sure. Hey, friends, I got to take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there. It's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I got to tell you, Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C., insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at freemanbeyondthewall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. I think in many ways that that is what this debate comes down to because we all we all pretty much agree it is taking a life one way or the other. The only question is if we're defining it in the libertarian sense as murder, which would be like an aggressive, unjustified taking of that life, right. or if we're defining it as defense, self-defense in the libertarian sense. Well, Obbins is right on the fence. If she agrees it's murder, she's an evictionist. If she says, no, 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 I don't like it. I think it's immoral, but uh, they should, they're innocent. Then she's a, a true uh, pro um uh, choice. Well, as I've said, I, I mean, as, as I think even Mark, when he appro- approached me for this conversation, he's like, I know you identify primarily with evictionism. I just think, you know, like Walter, there are things that like within your scope of evictionism, I'm not totally sold on, but, uh, but, um, but no, I mean, I, I agree that my position, I'm a pro-choicer that happens to think that evictionism is the best way to go about things. I just simply don't, I don't like think that there's that much of a problem with abortion later term simply because I don't, I don't see those well, as a big know, problem. In ancient England, they would say, I dub thee knight, you know, the, the queen would uh, put a sword on the guy's shoulder or something. Well, I dub thee uh, uh, evictionist. Oh, okay. Uh, Thank uh, you. Welcome to the group. If you were closer, I'd give you a hug. I believe, <laughs> I believe Walter just declared himself a partial victor, at least so far. If, if, so. <laughs> if, if it was voluntary, that is. <laughs> All right. All right. So now it's, Let's now it's all, uh, Walter Joe and me versus Dave. Come on, Dave. <laughs> Let's see if you guys can pull Dave right. on over. Now, Dave, is there anything specific about Walter's criticism of, of your sort of newfound pro-life position? Well, can I just? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Can I just address the 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 idea of of uh, killing a baby at eight months pregnant? I mean, look, guys, this is so clear cut murdering a baby. And I know, Evans, you're like hesitant to just say, yes, this is murder. Listen, I, I have a friend of mine um, who just gave birth seven weeks early. Her mm-hmm. her boy is absolutely fine. That's that's a baby that came out of her. It's it, there, This is absolutely a baby. Unless you believe there's something magical about the birthing canal. Um, this is a baby. There is no other way to describe uh, what what you would be doing there. And by the way, maybe a little bit aside from libertarianism uh, or outside of the scope, but I don't think killing a baby is on the same moral level as killing anyone on this podcast right now. I actually think it's far, far worse. I I really do. It it almost, and look, I used to be pro-choice, but I, I, I feel almost the way I do about the, when I was a statist, I, I just can't believe 
that I, I ever believed that. And, and I can't believe how you would look at an eight month old baby as not being murder. And the idea that you say it happens very rarely. I mean, that is true. It happens rarely. It does happen, but it is rare. Um, I think it's, it's a little bit over 1% of abortions are in late term. Um, but also the, the rape, example, which I'm about to have to deal with, um, that that also is very rare. And that always gets thrown at people on the pro-life side. So if we have to deal with rare situations, we still have to. And I think part of um, thinking about what it is to kill an eight-month baby, also, it, it's kind of, it, it shows that it, it becomes this slippery slope where where exactly do you draw the line that it's okay to kill a baby? Um, you know, look, as far as to Walter's criticism of me, I, I agree it's it's not uh, exactly the same as the analogy that I'm using in, in a hot air balloon. And yes, you're right. You're not technically inviting somebody because there, somebody doesn't exist yet. Um, listen, and, and I know, Walter, you have kids. And so you, you, I think everyone who has kids is kind of aware of this. It's kind of a magical process having kids. It's really something unbelievable. I mean, you and your wife kind of rub together and nine <laughs> months later, there's a baby there. It's the closest thing we have to magic. And and it's also the most beautiful thing uh, that human beings do, I'm going to clip off opinion. that soundbite and just market it as Dave Smith explained sex to your children. <laughs> you and your but wife it, rub together and then that, baby. I've already explained it to my five-month-old. She doesn't seem to be getting it. But um, but but there is, you're right, it's not technically inviting somebody, but you are kind of summoning them uh, into existence in some sense. And look, the truth is, if somebody is taking an action that is going to have a responsibility with it, the reason human beings have sex is to reproduce. The reason we're attracted to one another bi biologically is to reproduce. I, I don't mean in a sense that everyone has sex to reproduce, but I mean the reason why we have this genetic drive, the reason why men are attracted to breasts and are attracted to uh, birthing hips. I mean, all of this is very biological. Everybody knows, I'm sure you could find some exam exemption, but um, exception, but Everybody knows that pregnancy uh, is something that ha can happen from sex, or just about everybody knows. I mean, I, I think that if somebody has the responsibility there, it's like, look, now, um, in the case of rape, um, I do agree that it makes it makes the libertarian position much more difficult. But I, I mean, look, I have no problem with a, a woman who's raped going to the hospital and taking a morning after pill, which, uh, in my opinion, is not abortive. It, it would get rid of the baby before conception, which is where we uh, um, said the line of uh, when a life is created would, would be decided. But it, I mean, think about it. Just just think about a woman who's raped and then carries a baby around for seven months, eight months, and then decides, I want to abort. Uh, I want to have a late trimester abortion because I was raped. I mean, is that is that legitimate? Why, why would it be if a baby, uh, if a woman, and now this isn't toward Walter, this is because he wouldn't be for the murdering part, but if a woman wanted to murder her three or four month old baby, um, why, why would that not be okay if it was because she was raped? I mean, because the baby is an innocent person here. Now, I understand that Walter, Walter is correct that the invitation is murky. It's not, it's not a direct analogy. It, it, it um, it's not perfect, but the idea is, do, is there some responsibility to this baby who has now um, is now a completely innocent uh, uh, person who who's brought into the world by no choice of their own. And can we say that you you can now even if you're talking about evicting? Look, when when Evans was talking about um, very few doctors will do this after 24 weeks. Listen, by the way, I was completely ignorant to all this stuff until my wife was pregnant. I had a baby. It, a baby is so developed at 24 weeks. That is a baby inside of you. By 12 weeks, it's clearly a baby. I mean, th this is like, th th this is murdering a baby right there. So now it's like, if you have a baby 
and you're in this hot air balloon, let's say the baby's dropped into your hot air balloon, you didn't invite the baby in, the, the, you know, the, there's no invitation at all, but you're in your hot air balloon and you're kind of coming down toward the ground, do you have some obligation to not, um, to not drop them out and, and to keep them there until, until they're on the ground. So I think the, the morning after pill, I think, is, is okay with me. And also with other people like Ron Paul, the greatest human being on the planet. Uh, he said that uh, um, the morning after pill is okay and with him. I believe the morning after maybe Alvin's or one of you will know. But I'm pretty sure the morning after pill doesn't actually cause an abortion. It just prevents the pregnancy. And yeah, so yes. that, that's, why, that's why it still fits into like your moral view and, and Ron Paul's moral view. Walter Block Walter is Block shaking, his, shaking head, his head, but Ron Paul... The greatest human being on the planet who's an OBGYN says I'm right. Well, according to my medical degree, <laughs> which is non-existent, uh, as is my Talmudic knowledge of, you know, when, when the baby is viable, when it gets out of medical school, my understanding is if you have sexual intercourse at uh, 8 o'clock at night on a Monday night, How'd you know? and you take a morning after pill on Tuesday morning, there's a fertilized egg in there. Uh, the fertilized, it only takes a half hour for the sperm to get to the egg or an hour or whatever it is. It doesn't take a whole night. So if, if you favor the morning after pill and you understand biology the way I do, I'm going to dub the, uh, uh, an evictionist also, Dave, uh, you're going to have to take back that, that morning after pill, because I, I think maybe someone will correct me wrong. Who, who's a, a, a doctor or knows more about this than me, but my understanding of the timing is the morning after pill can be taken 12 hours after sexual intercourse. And the, for the time for the sperm to reach the egg ain't no 12 hours. It's more than 12 minutes or an hour or something like that. So if you're really serious about that morning after pill, uh, you're an evictionist. So I just did a quick search just because I had I had read about this Dang. before, but but I wanted to confirm what I believe. It is actually the morning after pill, and we I don't want to get too bogged into the details because we're really discussing the morality here. But I believe the morning after pill actually re- just reduces the risk of pregnancy. So if a pregnancy has not occurred yet, it will greatly reduce the chance of that happening. Whereas the abortion pill yeah. will actually stop a pregnancy that has occurred. So there is a, there is a distinction. Yeah, that was that was my understanding from my research as well is that it actually stops it before the pregnancy occurs. Whenever we dispute on the facts what we can do is take it two ways one let's assume i'm right and then you agree with me namely you can't have a, a morning after pill on the other hand if you're correct in your uh, physical assessment of the uh, biological reality then you're not an evictionist just because you favor the morning after pill so we don't have to argue what you know who's right or who's wrong we uh, probably google this and find out but uh, we have the hypothetical that's what i just said <laughs> Okay, I, I agree with that. I, I wanted to reply to Dave's uh, point about um, you're in your hot air balloon and you're on the way down and you're just 20 feet from the ground and all of a sudden a, um, a baby, a, a two-year-old, doesn't have to be a, a, a fetus, a two-year-old or an adult, anyone, gets dropped into your um, uh, 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 hot air balloon and if you drop them at 20 feet or let's say you're still 50 feet up and the person will die. Now, I don't like that example. The reason I don't like it, although I think it's very powerful on your side, the reason I don't like it is because this is an attempt to chip away at private property rights. And I say private property rights uber alles. There's this uh, flagpole case. I, I, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but it, just in case not, let me re- reiterate the flagpole. So you're on the 20th floor and you're on a deck and uh, somehow you slip 
and you're now you're on the 19th floor and you're holding a flagpole. And what you want to do is go hand over hand into the 19th uh, stories person uh, apartment and then go back upstairs to where you were before. And, uh, you know, the uh, the attack on private property rights as well, you know, in this case, surely the hell with private property rights. Uh, the the uh, homeowner uh, uh, has no right to tell you get off uh, the flagpole. That's the sort of a, an example you're giving me. And I don't like that example because it's an attack on private property rights. And if we're really libertarians, we have to withstand that. We have to be firm. We have to be uh, callous. We have to be nasty. We have to say private property rights over ours. And I tell you this, more people will live if we adhere to strict private property rights and we don't allow any exceptions because then you get the, this slippery slope. Oh, well, if we'll, if we'll denigrate private property rights in your balloon case and we'll denigrate it in the flagpole case, well, how about that? integrating in here and let's have welfare or something. So we don't want to let the, the cloven hoof of the evil um, devil, namely anti-property rights, get in. We want to resist that. And it's easy to resist that because these examples are on an empirical basis, Hobbins is talking about empirical stuff, 1%, and she's absolutely right. Uh, they, they don't, they don't they don't really mean that much because how many people are on a flagpole? How many people get dropped into a hot air balloon when it's 50 feet high and, and you're on your way down? This is just a theoretical thing. So if we're in this theory, we, we have to adhere to property rights. We don't want to just jettison libertarianism because we're libertarians. And, and that's what, that's what keeps us going. You know, before in the, in the introduction, um, uh, when Mark was introducing and they were asking, well, how did you get there? How did you get there? Uh, Dave got there because of his baby. Uh, Abin's got there because her experience as a woman. You know how I got to my position? Libertarianism. I'm a, a maniacal libertarian. I'm a rabid libertarian. Yes, it's true. I'm moderate, but I'm a rabid libertarian and I don't want to give one inch. The rabidly moderate compromiser. Right. And and to give into this uh, a flagpole or to give into this uh, a hot air balloon is to give one inch away and I'm not giving a single goddamn inch. I don't know if the analogies are – I mean, I, th I think the analogies help to illustrate points in some ways, but I don't know if they're all that effective in clarifying the, the yeah. moral case in all, in all situations. So I do want to dig in because um, we're kind of – Starting to ramp towards the end of our, our time here. I do want to dig in a little more to the sort of moral versus legal aspect because there are many libertarians who will say, you know, I'm morally pro-life. I want to encourage people to not have abortions, but I don't think the state should be involved. So I'm kind of curious of where, Dave, where you take your position on this. And if there's any, like, do you think there should be it, that a, a regular, I don't say regular abortion, but an abortion of any kind at any level, should that be treated the same as a murder in, in the legal system? Or would you sort of take a different enforcement tact on it for some reason? Well, I, I certainly do think that there are moral areas that are outside of uh, libertarianism that, in other words, you know, libertarianism is a legal philosophy of justice. So I, I, there are lots of immoral things you can do that shouldn't be illegal. I don't, I, I think abortion, again, in every single instance that it is practiced, is killing a baby. I mean, that's there. There is no actual real-world example of an abortion where you evict the baby and then send it on its way. So yes, I think that should be illegal. Now, how exactly you would go about punishing that? I think under current situations, it's a little bit of a murky area. You know, for example, um, when when the the Nazis uh, fell after World War II, they basically punished like high level people and then down to a certain level. And then after that, they were basically like, yeah, look, you were caught up in Nazism. I don't know. This is what overtook the entire society. We can't throw every single German who is sympathetic to the Nazis in jail. I mean, as a libertarian, I see uh, war as nothing but state sanctioned mass murder. Um, now, 
it's for troops who have gone over to Iraq or maybe next week will be over in Venezuela. Um, a lot of them may have committed murder. I don't know if I would actually say that if us libertarians ever got our way and we had the society we wanted, uh, we should go around throwing every single one of them in jail. I, this is just like kind of a practical issue to me. I mean, maybe there's there's a certain point where we would say, well, this was the general thinking of the time. It was wrong. Um, I would like to make abortion illegal to not allow uh, abortion clinics, which are essentially murdering babies uh, from my perspective. And I will just say very quickly that I do uh, um, agree with Walter Block that a private property-based society is going to save a lot more lives uh, than it will cost. That's a utilitarian argument, but I do uh, agree with it. I, I'm not... I was surprised that he he didn't like the hypotheticals after I uh, I, I saw his wonderful lecture at Mises University uh, last year that was filled with hypotheticals, but they were all great. Um, uh, the the only counter I would say to that is that I believe that a society that doesn't value life is a very dangerous slippery slope as well, and a society that that can decide that because some life is inconvenient, this life can now be murdered, which I think uh, Professor Block, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep calling you that, would uh, concede. Um, in the vast majority of abortions, that's exactly what we're doing. And that, to me, is a very, very slippery slope where a society can say, well, there's one group of, of people who are inconvenient or we don't really care about them, so we're okay with snuffing their life out. And that would concern me even more than some minor uh, um, property rights of the woman. Violation. I do have a question I kind of want to propose to both Dave and, and Avins. I, I think I already kind of know Walter's thoughts on this. It's based on the viability, but do you see either of you, do you either of you see any kind of moral difference just from a moral perspective of an abortion, like literally hour one, right after that, that fetus is considered fertilized versus month eight? Is there any moral difference there? Obviously visually and, and in terms of thinking the reality of it, it seems totally different, but is there a moral distinction? Dave, go first. Okay. Um, well, certainly one uh, makes my stomach uh, go upside down and one doesn't. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I look, the, the idea of, of an hour one abortion does not get a visceral reaction out of me in the same way that obviously that, uh, that uh, a second term or third term uh, uh, abortion would. Um, the idea also, I mean, if we are going to play the card that some analogies are ridiculous, this is the idea of an hour one abortion is, is insane. I mean, a woman, it takes weeks before day a woman's one, late. Two, on her whatever, period. You know. It's about, it's about five weeks before a home pregnancy test will tell you that you're pregnant. Even with the, mo the right. most powerful uh, sonogram in the world, I don't think there's any way anyone could detect that you were pregnant in, in the first few hours. Um, so um, I, I, while one may get more of a, an emotional reaction out of me. If we're talking about five, six, seven, eight week abortions, um, I, morally, logically, I don't see any reason why it's not just as much of a murder. Uh, I, no, I, I certainly see a difference between a an abortion in, I mean, the first trimester versus the third trimester. I absolutely see a difference between those two. Um, and I recognize that like, the way I look at it is I have no moral issue with a uh, with a abortion in the first trimester. I have few moral issues with abortions in the second trimester. And we can have conversations about like, oh, is that like whatever, not not a good thing. And then the third trimester, no, I've totally recognized that like the idea of someone having an elective abortion in the third trimester is is gross and it's it's bad and it's we, we don't want that to happen. Uh, so, no, I, I absolutely see. I mean, I absolutely see it as a there's a spectrum of of 
social acceptability, moral acceptability, and uh, and that. Well, I disagree with both of my partners here. I, I see no difference between a one-hour-old baby and an eight-and-a-half-old, uh, uh, rather, baby fetus. Same thing. It's uh, sort of like, who, who would you rather kill, uh, a 17-year-old, a 25-year-old, or a 52-year-old? It's the same thing. It's just evil murder, and I don't care how old you are. I don't care how old the fetus is. Uh, I also wanted to say that um, I, I agree with Avins on, on the surrogate mother. Uh, probably any reasonable contract for a surrogate mother would be that if her health uh, deteriorates, then you know all bets are off. So I think that's a good point, and I thank you for that. And also, I, I wanted to say that to Dave or Mr. Smith, if he's going to call me for us a block, i got to call Mr. Smith. Got to have even Stephen here. We should just all be sirs, like knights. Knights of old. Since Walter's knighting people here. I'm not against hypotheticals. I, I uh, live and breathe uh, by hypotheticals. It's just that I disagree with your use of the hypothetical. I think it was a nice try, but I I, I, I thought your uh, hypothetical was an attempt to undermine property rights, so I disagreed with that hypothetical or that use of the hypothetical. I wanted to say one other thing. You said Ron Paul is the greatest person on, on the planet, and, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't disagree. But Ron Paul was pro-life. And another great person who I'm sure you'll agree with me is Murray Rothbard. And Murray Rothbard was pro-choice. And these are two of our heroes. These are our mother and father of libertarianism. Or, you know, it's hard to think of anyone that we revere. Which, which, one's, which one's mom? Ron and Murray rubbed up against each other. In <laughs> I mean, I think I can speak for all, for all four of us when I say that they're both heroes of ours. And yet they were 180 degrees apart from each other. And happily, my theory uh, is a way to um, uh, compromise between the two of them. You know, you, you hate it when your mommy and your daddy fight. <laughs> Kids don't like it. Well, I don't know which one's the mommy and which one's the daddy or two daddies. Or, you know, uh, you no, know, he's the child, but, but Murray aborted him. Right. So. Uh, you know, these Walter are our two the daddies. <laughs> I'm the I'm the child, and 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 Murray and Ron are, are our two daddies. Not just my two daddies, our two daddies. We hate to see them fight. Well, one way to get your parents to stop fighting is to get them to compromise. And this is a compromise. And it's not just a compromise that divides two plus two equals four equals six equals five. It's a principle compromise, and it's based on property rights, which we all adhere to. And I think that both Murray and Ron. Uh, are wrong. They, they didn't deduce properly from their own theory of private property rights. The woman's body is her property right. She has a right to say who's in there for whatever reason. Uh, she has no right to kill, murder, but she has a right to evict. All right. Well, I think we've all gotten, you know, the basic summary of everyone's position out there. So uh, I'd like to sort of move on to our our casual closing statements, uh, if you will. Uh, but I'd also like you each to think about maybe if, if there's a good point or uh, maybe a, a position that you were slightly moved on or, or thought about things slightly differently from something you heard or maybe just a good point that someone else made. Just, you know, trying to, to sprinkle some nicety back into the into the conclusion here. But uh, I will allow. Uh, why don't we go with you, Evans? Why don't you just give your little summary of uh, your position on abortion? one more time and maybe uh, sprinkle in some thoughts about the show today. I, yeah, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't think this was a particularly like aggressive, like, oh, we need to, we no, need no, to sprinkle good feelings because it's been so bloodthirsty. Because it's been so contentious. Like, Dave and I have just been- This really was a casual conversation about abortion. Well, I mean, it's interesting. There were a couple of points that, I mean, yes, I will summarize and, and wrap up. But I mean, there were a couple of points too, is like, you know, there's, there is no analogy that works well for the topic of abortion. And I definitely, I've seen, you know, pro-choicers trying to make analogies that work for abortion. I've seen pro-lifers trying to make analogies that work for abortions. You know, I've heard the, the hot air balloon thing a million times and, and, you know, it's like, yeah, like when you drop someone into a hot air balloon, 
like, are they also potentially harming you on the way? Cause that's, that's another thing. Like, I mean, it's not a fetus's fault, but like, like pregnancy can be extremely destructive to a woman's body. And that continues to be a huge aspect of why I don't want to see regulation or, or even, or even like prevention, even socially, if, if somebody's like, I, I do not want to endure a pregnancy, then I don't want them to, to have to endure that pregnancy. And I'd like them to do so. I'd like them to, to stop that pregnancy as quickly as possible for numerous reasons, con- in, including uh, avoiding moral complications uh, also, uh, because it's a lot less expensive and a lot less physically traumatic to one's body to have an abortion early term. Uh, it's actually funny when we were having this discussion about both the morning after pill and, and, uh, and then the difference between that and, uh, and the medical abortion, like, uh, the, are you whatever the, um, are you 46? Yeah. Yeah. I always forget what number it is. And I don't want to fuck it up, but I, I mean, you I don't want to take the wrong one. That I'm going to presume weird, weird that I'm issues. the, that I'm the only person on this podcast who has taken both of those. And so, like, I've... It's probably true. I, I, I mean, I'm not sure if, you know... Sometimes I just take hand pill, you pills know, of, you know, handfuls of pills without looking, but and, I, I don't think I have. And, you know, and so I, you know, I, I definitely had a moment in, you know, in my pro-choice position where I've always stood up for, you know, a woman's right to choose. I've always stood up for, uh, for you know, lacking legislation on this topic. Uh, and I had a moment in 2017 where I found myself unexpectedly pregnant. As soon as I found out, I scheduled, uh, I, I called around to abortion clinics. I literally like shopped, price shopped to find out who was cheapest. Um, and then, you know, made an appointment, did all of that and like, and and had, you know, a medical abortion, literally took a bunch of pills. It cost me 850 fucking dollars. I just like to point out how insane that is because it was like four pills. And during that process, I made a very specific decision to when like you take the pills, it stops the hormones, you take the second pill and it uh, induces contractions. So I was at six weeks along. And when that happened, I did what is just because I'm a sciencey geeky girl. After I passed the embryonic sac, I very intentionally kept it and then put on gloves and then went through it because I'm gross. And one of the things that happened in that is that I went, okay, I'm going to look this thing in the eye. I'm going to, like, people tell me I need to feel really horrible about killing this. So here I go. And I took a look at it and I, I don't, like, it, it, it furthered my position that this is not, this is not something that I'm morally worried about at all. Um, because I, I, you know, like the embryonic sac was like about an inch big and inside was a, a, an embryo that was the size of a lentil. And so like, these are things that it's not even about size, but the thing is like, this isn't to me, that wasn't something that I like remotely, like I looked at it and I said, here, I'm, I'm here to, to, to figure out if I feel differently about this when I've looked it in the, if I looked it in the eye and I didn't, I didn't. And I, I had a very personal experience with that, 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 that made it even stronger for me. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I think that there are three, I think there is something that all three of us will deeply agree on, which is that the best situation is for people to not get pregnant before until they want to. I think that the, the world would be better if, if we can do what we can to support as a society not having unplanned pregnancies. And that to me, that's something that like I deeply care about. And, and then when pregnancies happen and they're unexpected or unplanned or unwanted, uh, my goal is to have them dealt with as quickly as possible. And whether that means that, you know, in some cases there's pro-lifers who want to support 
uh, you know, supporting a woman, you know, hey, no, you can do this. You can, you can, you can uh, go through your pregnancy and give it up for adoption, or you can go through your pregnancy and have a baby and be and be a mother. That would be great. Um, I think that, like for me, it's all about making sure that that person gets to make that individual choice, whatever it is. And my end goal is every child that comes into this world being wanted, and I want to prevent unwanted pregnancy and then prevent and then prevent the the birth of children that are going to be unwanted and are going to not be not going to be born into situations that are going to be conducive to quality of life for everyone around them. And I know that to be people they they say like oh but that's an abortion of convenience of convenience and that's a problem. And I get that. But at the end of the day, what I want is a world where children are wanted and where and and where people aren't having to have un, unplanned pregnancies. And I want a, a, a better world through that. And so, um, uh, and so like my society is, Hey, I want a society of people who love babies and want babies. But, but like, but to me, that also includes, uh, giving people, making sure people have the right to make that decision before the baby comes into this world. Um, but yeah, overall, um, that's, I guess that's my position. <laughs> that's my position re- re- reiterated. <laughs> Thank you, Ovens. And uh, Dave, I think you probably have the most opposite position. If Ovens is our Murray Rothbard, you are our Ron Paul. So why don't you go ahead and give your final summary of, of your pro-life position? I'm more of an I'm more of an Ayn Rand Murray Rothbard crossover. Let's just, you know. Well, that's 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 weird to picture. But <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Dave, if you want to just give up your summary uh, of your position and then, uh, you know, is there anything you heard today that, that moved you in, in any direction at all or just made you yeah think think about something differently? Um, well, no, probably not. But I, I mean, I came in already. I'm somewhat sympathetic. I, not somewhat. I'm very sympathetic. Obviously, all of you have given this deep thought before the show. So, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm somewhat sympathetic to to evictionism. I, I really admire um, uh, Professor Block's um, consistency and and working from the libertarian principles that I love and cherish so much. I, I was bummed out that he brought up Murray Rothbard. I was hoping I could just bring up Ron Paul and no one would mention that Murray Rothbard was on the other side of that. But of course, uh, uh, Mr. Block got me on that one. Um, so you're Mr. You've been downgraded. That's right. By the end, by the, by my last sentence, I'll call him Walter. Um, just be Walt by the end. Look, I just, I, I just have a very fundamental disagreement with, with Avens and, um, you know, this is the problem. I'm always disappointed by second generation libertarians. This is Rand Paul all over right. again. Um, so I, <laughs> that was just a shot at Rand Paul, not you, but I look, that. I understand. I, uh, I agree that I would, I want to live in a world where where people love their children and where people get pregnant when they're ready. I mean, of course, you know, like that that would be great and that would be ideal. But the real question is whether or not that is a life and whether it's a human life and a baby and whether it has all of the natural and moral rights that any other human should. And to me, it's just an obvious yes. So the idea of like, you know, well, you know, you, you don't know if you're really ready for this baby or you don't know if you're really going to love the baby or I mean, all of these to me would be would would be a legitimate justification to kill a, a six month old or a one year old or a two year old. Um, so I just, you know, I, 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 I to me, I, I can't look at it that way. And I, I don't want to, you know, your your personal story. I appreciate you sharing that. But maybe I'll, I, I won't say anything about that. But just my own personal story of having a baby and now looking like I that story that you told never would have gotten to me before I had my daughter. Right. And now hearing it, it really does get to me because I'll tell you after holding your baby and having a baby, looking back now, when I look at the sonogram pictures of her and it's like, it's her, man. Like I, you see her face, you see everything. I, I just think that 
it's I, I, I by the way, I just one quick point on this. I, I don't think uh, uh, Professor Block was actually disagreeing with me. I before when he said about the difference between a, a one day old or an eight month old, I just said I had more of a visceral reaction to the eight month old. I'm not saying that there's any moral difference. I agree. I mean, the, look, the human brain doesn't stop developing till something like 25 years old. Uh, we're, we're constantly changing. My daughter, who's now right now five months is a different, you know, completely different person than she was uh, when she was a newborn. She's, she, you know, every day she's a, a different person. Uh, look, I just think that uh, uh, libertarians, um, we call things what they are. What abortion is in every single instance that it's practiced in reality is the murdering of a baby. I think that you want a, a, a society that values life. Uh, as Ron Paul always says, you, you're not going to have a, a society that values liberty if you don't have one that values life. Um, I, I would say this, if there was a world which maybe we will te technologically advance to in 50, 100 years or something like that, where there, the idea of eviction could be done and then babies could be raised in test tubes and no baby would be hurt in the process of it. And then, um, you know, they could be put up for adoption. Then I would subscribe to evictionism. So I, I guess in that sense, Walter could, could take the victory from, from me that I would be an evictionist in this hypothetical reality. However, in the reality we live in right now, where abortion, whether you're talking about taking a pill in your first trimester that's going to stop the flow of progesterone and kill the baby inside you, and then you're going to um, pass the baby, or you're talking about the far more gruesome practices that happen later uh, throughout pregnancy, um, I, that, all of that to me is murdering a baby. It's very black and white, and I think that that's, that's evil, and I, I just couldn't support it. But I really do appreciate the conversation. So thanks for having us on, and Mark. Adding and adding evil to my bio. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And Walter, I will give you uh, the last word here to sum up why uh, everyone but you is wrong. Well, uh, let me uh, say something a little differently. Uh, my big criticism of the three of you is you don't live in New Orleans. I wish you lived in New Orleans because I think we could all be friends. We're, we're all staunch libertarians. And, and this conversation was just a lovely conversation. We're not all friends? All right, you heard it. Episode 500, we're all flying to New Orleans and redoing this live at Walter's house. Uh, we can now be acquaintances, but we can't be friends because we don't see each other that much. I wish we were. I, I think this is one of the most lovely conversations I've ever been in. We have the most lovely conversation about abortion that I've ever been on any subject. It, it, and even more so this subject because this is a really contentious subject and nobody uh, lost his cool or her cool. Nobody yelled at anyone. And I've been in a lot of conversations where you know uh, that people talk uh, talk nasty to other people and, and we were all very civil and and I appreciate that I, I've been through many more debates maybe than you people I'm a little older than you uh, and I, this is one of the best uh, that I've ever been part of I also wanted to say Obbins I regret that you had not an abortion you didn't have an abortion you had an eviction and I'm sure you had your own reasons for it, but I regret it because uh, if this baby was anything like you, and I'm sure it would have been, uh, I would have been happy to be that baby's friend as well. I appreciate that. Well, that, is, that is a very nice note to, to wrap things up on. Uh, thank you all for coming on today. I, like, I, like Walter said, this was probably, I'm just going to declare it the, the nicest conversation about abortion that's ever occurred in the history of the world. And I will market I it thusly. So thank you so people. much for joining <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. And I really appreciate all of you coming on, especially, you know, sharing your story, Alvin. I know that's probably, maybe it is easy for you because you can talk about everything, but it might not be easy my for everyone. Facebook, so it's, I do, it's, I talk about yeah, for you, it's probably no big deal. But um, I appreciate all of you coming on here and having such a great conversation about uh, what is often a very contentious topic out there in the world. But what's awesome about libertarians is we can break down the nuance of things and try to look at things rationally and not end up hating each other and throwing our arms up in the air at the end. So thank you all so much uh, for your for your support uh, coming on for my 400th episode and uh, for having a great conversation. Keep up the great work, everybody. And Walter, it looks like you have something else yeah, to say. Yeah, thanks for being a great moderator. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. We love you. All right, friends, and that will do it. That was episode 400, and I can say we probably won't do any shows on abortion for quite some time. Uh, It's a subject I haven't really gone into at all in the first 400 episodes. It's been mentioned in a show here and there, and of course, I did do that episode, uh, which I'll link to in today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash slash 400, of course, the 400th episode. We really keep things simple around here. Uh, but for the most part, it's not a subject I focus on a lot, mostly because I'm I'm in many ways still conflicted. Even after this interview, even after this hour-long show where we're trying to break things down, I still have conflicted views on the subject because at the end of the day, this is a subject, a very rare subject, a very rare instance where the rights of two individuals really are in conflict. Uh, the mother is an individual. She has rights. She has, in theory, the right to to have something in her body or not, and then that fetus is also, in my view, an individual, an individual growing human that should have an extent of rights as well. Um, where do I get from all that after listening to everything today and hearing all the arguments? I still get to a point where I'm conflicted on the subject. That's how difficult this subject is, and I think if you're not somewhat conflicted, and I think even everyone on the show today probably has some kind of conflicts about it. Uh, It's not a clean issue. It's not a perfect issue, no matter what position you take. Uh, I think that that is kind of the first step in talking about this stuff, is at least recognizing that it's a nuanced and difficult issue. But that is why I want to give it its due. And what better way to do it than uh, in this celebration (laughs) of 400 episodes. Uh, But I do hope you found value in this conversation. And again, I encourage you, to encourage your friends and family to check out this program if you get if you do indeed get value from it. Now I'm just going to ask you for one more favor, one tiny tiny little favor and this is sort of an announcement but it's sort of a pre-announcement announcement, but essentially I'm going to be starting a new podcast sometime in 2019. I don't really know exactly when. Uh, exactly when will be somewhat determined by the response I get out there and uh, obviously the place I'm going to start is with the current listeners of this show. Now this show will not be a direct part of Lions of Liberty. Of course, a, a larger goal is to funnel more people back to the show. But essentially, the gist is that you know, both in real life and in various podcasts I've done, uh, particularly the the segment of the system is down called tripartisan triggering, where I'm specifically discussing issues with non-libertarians uh, in a very friendly way, uh, like they're real humans, not like they're bots on the internet, which you know a lot of conversations can turn into nowadays, when we're just typing away on, on Twitter, typing away on Facebook, getting fired up. But when you have real conversations with people, sure, you're not going to necessarily turn them into libertarians overnight, but when you can understand their perspective and show them that you're on their side in so many ways uh, with your overall principles that we don't want people 
people to be poor. We don't want people to be starving. We do want people to get great educations. We do want people to have opportunities to succeed in life. We want people to have all these things. We just have a different approach. And I really find value in having these kind of conversations with people who just don't see our point of view, with people who see drastically different points of views. And there are different ways you can approach it, but the one way I want to approach it is through this podcast forum that I've spent over five years. Uh, I wouldn't say perfecting because it's always a work in progress, but five years working on here at Lions of Liberty. And I want to take it to, I don't want to say a wider audience, but just sort of a, a, a wider depth of people who might be open to listening to it and maybe sort of get them thinking in a different way that isn't so overtly libertarian in nature. So that's basically my idea. And to be honest, I haven't thought about much more beyond that, but I do want it to be a very long form type show, uh, a very unplanned conversation where I simply discuss philosophy and politics with someone who I know has a, a differing view from the libertarian bent. And that might be a, a vastly differing view. It might be, um, you know, it might be not that dissimilar, but we, there might be some major subjects that we disagree on that we can go into. So this can go in a few different directions. For now, I've just set up a Patreon for it. And I'm not actually accepting any money. Uh, I've set it up so it is per creation right now. And uh, there are no creations coming in the next, probably not in the next month or two, at least until I get past Fort Porkfest, because my ne- next month is pretty insane. Uh, but maybe sometime later in the summer, again, depending on the response, I'm going to start working on this in a, in a more serious way. Come up with a title. I don't even have a title. Uh, come up with guests. Come up with a format. All the stuff you have to do uh, beforehand to get a podcast going. But the reason I'm starting the Patreon now is that I want this to be listener-built from the get-go. I want people who want to see this show happen, help me to shape it, help me to name it, help me to mold it, and make it whatever they want it to be. And obviously, um, this is the base of which I plan to start, because you're the people that already listen to me. <laughs> At least sometimes you do. So, so if you don't mind, do me one more favor. I'm going to link to it in today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 400. Uh, you can also find it for now at patreon.com slash markclare. Just my name, M-A-R-C. There's no K in my name, my first or last name, M-A-R-C. C-L-A-I-R. Patreon.com slash markclare. Just check it out. Give it a read. See if you like what I'm thinking about doing with it. And if you like Give a pledge. Ovens O'Brien, today's guest, actually already gave me a pledge today, as as well as a few other people. In fact, I'm going to thank them right now for signing up for this thing before I even announce it on the podcast. But we got Nick Tucker, Joey Meyer, Dan Mahoney, Dan Roberts, Charles Schrader, Andrew Kern, and the aforementioned Ovens O'Brien. They have all already pledged for this new podcast that doesn't have a name, doesn't exist, doesn't have anything except an idea. So I really want to thank these initial early supporters. But I do, again, encourage you to check it out at patreon.com slash markclare. Let me know what you think. Help me craft this thing. Be a part of something new and exciting. And speaking of new and exciting, I'm doing a little something new and exciting next week. I'm hosting a debate between our, our friend Anthony Samaroff, who has already participated in one debate on this program, uh, over UBI, Universal Basic Income, with Michael Munger. I'll post that uh, in, in today's show notes. He's been on the show a couple times. And uh, Anthony approached me about debating the labor theory of value, a major component of Marxist ideology. And he's going to be debating it with a professor, a Marxist economist professor, a man by the name of Richard Wolff, who is fairly prominent in his field and fairly well known uh, within at least the Marxist economic community, uh, I guess you might say. And he's actually debating Gene Epstein later this year at the Soho Forum. So I'm very, very excited for next week's episode. And it, it in many ways reflects the kind of thing I'm trying to do with this new podcast that I'll be launching later this year. So tune in for that next week. Very excited to bring that one to you. 
Tune in to Brian McWilliams this Wednesday when he slaps you upside the head with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land. And of course, wrap things up on Friday with John Odermatt's hard-hitting, inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. And until next time, my little Liberty Kitty Cats, live long and live free.